I don't know if we're going to have a lot of laughs. Yeah, it's going to be a laugh a minute yeah, episode. Yeah, give me a, a laugh a minute. You know how it goes. <laughs> I got my notepad with my jokes. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. <clears throat> well. It's, it's interesting doing this in the morning. Yeah. Does it feel like it should be like a nighttime reflective not, thing? Not necessarily nighttime because I feel like... I feel like nighttime, you're like winding down, you're and you're relaxed. You're like nighttime has been like more good times. Yeah. And I feel like I, I think it's more just the fact that I'm like, oh, this is the first conversation I'm having of the day. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like still kind of warming up. Just had your like, pop tarts and coffee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had my my my, my <laughs> the morning ritual is meditate, <laughs> yoga, pop tarts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Occasional cigarette. And then, uh, stay back. Um, all right. Are we recording? Yeah. Oh, great. This is okay. what I figured we could slow roll into. Yeah. Well, hey, thanks for tuning in. If you're listening, thanks for listening to the back peel. Yeah. We got, I, w- I want to start this one with a little bit of a, a little bit of a disclaimer. Colton and I are going to, we're going to be talking about mental health. Mm-hmm. So we're going to get into some stuff. Um, disclaimer for people who are listening that might be sensitive around some of these topics. Um, obviously we are not licensed mental health professionals of any kind. Um, so we're going to be talking purely from our own personal experiences. Everything we say is going to be, you know, anecdotal. We might quote things that we've read or things that we've learned, but know that that is us doing our own homework. We are, we are not licensed. Thank you for acknowledging that we are not licensed. Um, and just some of the stories may be triggering. So yeah. anything yeah. around suicide, uh, depression, we're going to cover that stuff in, in some explicit detail because I just think it's more maybe more powerful that way. But I've, I've been there myself where you're like, I don't want to hear a powerful story. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm good on that. So Yeah, so no hurt feelings if you decide to skip this one or if you feel like you just need to come back to it later. Yeah. We'll be here. Obviously, on the podcast, I've talked very openly about my own struggles with mental health, and um, you know, so I'm I I, th- I feel like the audience has heard plenty from me. <laughs> um, but the past couple of years have sort of it feels like as your friend really sort of like plunged you into the fires of mental health in your personal life. Yeah, yeah. It. Uh, I mean, it's it came out of nowhere i don't think um i may not have had the infrastructure to really deal with it because i've had trauma in my life and i've I've talked about having like an alcoholic father and all that stuff um but it's it was just a really different experience this time around because i was kind of on the outside but also impacted myself because um what happened was in 2018 i was kind of i was in the middle of a job transition which i was pretty stoked about like so i had uh, one company was ending and then, uh, basically a partner of that company was like, well, we'll hire you if you're done with that company. Mm -hmm. And so I was like, well, this is awesome. And Mm -hmm. so I had this like week off, like the surprise week off. And I was so stoked. Uh, uh, Help me remember you and DB are engaged. We, yes, we are engaged at this point. So, um, she comes over, it's like a a Friday night. We're going to go out to dinner. Um, I'm gonna have my week off. I'm like looking forward to it. Uh, so we're like, yeah, let's go get sushi. Let's go have like a nice night out to celebrate. Like I'm not unemployed. I have a better opportunity yeah. and I have a week of vacation. Uh, 
And I jump in the shower before dinner. And when I come out, she's like crying on the phone. And her, uh, her aunt has called her to tell her that her father committed suicide. Mm-hmm. And it was like one of those moments out of a movie where you're just like, oh, this is changing everything. Yeah, it's like a car accident. Just Yeah. And for context, it was one of those things where um, my wife's father was in her life until she was maybe about, I'm going to mess up the timeline. Apologies, babe. <laughs> um, until she was like nine or 10, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Um, and then parents got divorced. They had that shared custody thing going on. And then eventually her mom got remarried to a pretty well-off dude. Mm-hmm. And so her biological dad just kind of faded away. Kind of, kind of was that situation of, you know, you're not taking care of these girls. And then I think on his perspective, he felt like, well, my daughters are taken care of, you know? Mm-hmm. So it was Danielle and her older sister. Um, and so they had these magical kind of memories together for a season. And then it just slowly dissipated mm-hmm. and they were raised, you know, to be very active. So they're like playing sports. They're in after school activities. They have summer jobs. <clears throat> and as kids, I think they just filled that dad hole with like a bunch of other activities, you mm-hmm. know? And so as long as I had known Danielle, she'd always been like, yeah, I don't really talk to my dad. I see him every once in a while. It's, it's really awkward. Like I, you know, every once, every four years, he'll be at like a wedding or something in the family, you know, and I'll have mm-hmm. an awkward exchange with him or he'll write me a lengthy email with like lots of spiritual language in it mm-hmm. and I'll just ignore it, you know? So that's kind of where she was at. So when we got engaged, I actually started looking him up and trying to get into contact with him because I was going to call him and be like, Hey, I'm marrying your daughter. Like, I would like to know you. Mm-hmm. Um, we were kind of on the fence about like even inviting him to the wedding. We're like, let's just, let me make contact and feel it out. Mm-hmm. So the number I had was bad. It was like a disconnected line. So I did like basic searches and you can pay to look people up. So I paid like 25 bucks and found a bunch of like phone numbers and some like arrest records and stuff mm-hmm. like that. I was like, okay, this guy's, uh, he's having a hard life, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, but it was the first time I'd even seen his face was in a mugshot mm-hmm. uh, that I had found online. So it was kind of a jarring experience from the jump. And that made me pause on reaching out. Mm-hmm. because you know when that's the first thing you see about your future father-in-law you're like ah oh, well, I'm going to wait for the perfect moment to get in touch with this guy mm-hmm. and so that's in the summer of 2018 like I find this number I'm actually with Danielle's sister while I'm doing this and we're looking at his like arrest records and we're looking at all his information and it has like their information in it because mm-hmm. these records are so detailed they're like you know daughters Olivia and Danielle their information we're like shit you're still like connected to this guy so <clears throat> I dragged my feet on that. That's in the summer. And then a couple of months later is when we get the phone call that he has taken his life. Mm-hmm. And so I'm spinning my wheels going, I was just thinking about calling this guy. Like I've had like three potential phone numbers that this, you know, research dug up. I never called him. Mm-hmm. Um, would that have changed anything? Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, it's a weird vibe because Danielle's, super broken up about it but it's also a guy that has had no relationship with her for almost 20 years i mean we're like 28 at this time yeah and he's been a ghost since she was like 10 or 11 you know may i ask like at this point in your life what is your relationship or understanding with like mental health at large i mean are you is it like a something you're thinking about is it something you're interested in not 
I'm 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 interested in it from like more of an observer and from more of like you you're being my best friend. Like I've always talked about depression with you, suicide with you, very openly. I mean, we've had like super deep talks about your darkest moments. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So I feel like I I was okay sitting in those moments, and <clears throat> I'd never really had a close friend or family member die from anything mm-hmm. at all, let alone like um, taking their own life. Like yeah. I've never been touched by suicide. Uh, so. It was definitely my first foray into that. And like me and Danielle weren't in therapy. We were in a pretty good season of life. I mean, Mm -hmm. we were moving towards getting married. We had this great, you know, destination wedding all planned and coming up in like four months that pretty much was all consuming. So we weren't in the mental health discussion at all. We were in the future business, if you will. Um, So it was, it was just jarring. So that sparked a huge chain of events. I mean, we got the call on Friday and we had to fly to Florida to Daytona beach. I mean, we live in LA, so we had to go across the country, uh, on like three days notice. It is crazy that you just happened to have this, this week week off free. Yeah. It was insane. It was pretty wild. It, it definitely felt more than a coincidence because I didn't have I had no other distractions. I wasn't like, oh, yeah. so I have to call my employer and like, yeah. you know, check emails or do these things. That I had rough. complete free space, you yeah. know. Um, do it you... sucked because we were like saving for a wedding and now we're like, oh, round trip flights back and forth yeah. to Florida. Was there a part of you in having that week just completely available, which means that you're completely available? Yeah. Was there ever a part of you that kind of wish like, could really go for some work right now. Like, no, I mean, okay. I'm terrible at compartmentalizing emotions. Okay. I mean, it was hard to go to work. We spent that week in Florida cleaning out his storage, mm-hmm. um, fucking seeing the body. I mean, mm-hmm. that was a whole nother experience in and of itself. Cause I texted you while I was there. Right. I mean, I was like, if you ever do this, I will bring you back from the dead and kill yeah. you again. <laughs> yeah. You, you text you. Uh, that was actually, that was like a, a real turning point for me because I mean, I try not to be overly gratuitous about the way that I discuss it, but I spent a lot of my life just being quite cavalier about the way that I talked about it. And for me, it was always, um, yeah, I just had this notion of like, you know, I don't want to hurt the people closest to me, but ultimately like nobody's really getting hurt. It's a yeah, very callous yeah. sort of feeling. No, I get it. And so, yeah, I remember getting that text from you and just being like, wow, um, I've never gotten a text like this from Colton before. Like, yeah. This is, this is definitely new territory. So, I mean, yeah, I, I don't know for you, those of you out there, if you've ever been to like an open casket thing, um, it was just so stark because it was like a funeral home. I had never met the guy. Mm-hmm. This is going to, this would have been like my kid's grandpa, you yeah. know? Um, and to, to have your first face-to-face interaction with someone being them in a casket is, is pretty jarring. And you can't, even, you can't even internalize the magnitude of what you're seeing in yeah. the moment. Um, and it's just rough to see two daughters mourn their dad, mm-hmm. you know, in an empty funeral home. Luckily, the guy that was running it was like, space is all yours. I'm just going to be in the back. And basically just let us stay in this mortuary to ourselves for hours. Just, just waves of weeping the -hmm. deepest weeping you can ever see and then you settle and then it hits you again and he's just weeping again and i was just like i don't experience that depth of emotions very regularly in my life yeah i probably only like broken down 
I don't know, a dozen times in my life. So to sit there and to watch the people you love, just do it over and over and over again for hours and to experience that with them. And it was, it was just sad on so many levels. You're like in this, I mean, I'm sorry if you're from Florida, but I think Daytona beach is an absolute shithole of a, of a town. <laughs> I mean, he killed himself outside of a rinky dink motel off mm. the side of the road. Um, and we're in this shitty mortuary. I mean, with two beautiful girls, you know, who've got filled with potential and filled with life that he just tapped out of being involved in at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and you just see this guy who's just, I mean, it's his worst season of life and his worst moment. That's what I'm observing. You know, yeah. I don't think that is all that he is, you know, as much yeah. as I'm mad at him and I hate him for it uh, so many days. It's just, it's just so much sadness at once. Mm-hmm. We are like so alone, so empty, so sad. And this is going to be the rest of their lives. This is their dad for the rest of their lives. This is the experience they have to carry. My, I'm curious for you because I just, in, in knowing you, I know you have this capacity to sort of like be with people in difficult <clears throat> times and you have the, you, it's, it's not as though you're like adverse to, um, to difficult circumstances and, you know, people's pain, but I, it takes a tremendous amount of energy for you, I think is the way you've described it, like yeah. experiencing people's pain. Um, I mean, even like on, on things, you know, it, it is de-energizing for you when like DB is, you know, hurting in some way right. now, even in yeah. like some smaller way, I can, I tell <laughs> the, the, that it like, it taxes you. Yeah. So yeah. What is going on? what is going on just in you for like in this space where it's just like, I, yeah, I mean, I go into like pretty much complete support mode. Um, I feel like it's, it's like if you're running a marathon, you just have like one objective. And even though you feel pain and fatigue, you're just like, I am running the race and I'm not done until I'm done. Mm-hmm. And that's what it felt like while we were there. And for the months to follow, it just felt like it's, it's the Danielle show now it's the Danielle and her sister show. Like it's whatever they need, whenever they need to mourn, if they need to stay up late, if they need to go self-medic, like that's just, that's number one priority. That's just what it is until it's done, you know, or until we kind of get through this initial season of mourning, mm-hmm. um, which I had, I, I didn't realize, you know, how much long-term damage that can do to a person playing the support role. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about that a little bit. I mean, cause that's what my journey is. My journey is not realizing that I am, I don't even know how to describe it well, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? But it's just like, uh, when you love someone that much and they're going through the most traumatic pain you can go through, it's really, unless you're like a complete like narcissist, it's really hard to just consider what you need in the moment, mm-hmm. you know? Uh, because you're just like, okay, well, I'm hurting, but it's not even, it's not even close to what they're feeling. Right. And for months, I mean, the memorial was a month later in, in DC area. Like, um, so then it was, it's just kind of months of like everybody looking at Danielle and her sister going, you poor child, you poor child, like telling them stories, asking them questions because like, there was a whole side of the family they didn't even know. Mm-hmm. And so that was their immersion into that side of the family. Cause mm-hmm. the whole family felt like, well, we can't reach out to Danielle and her sister because 
their dad's a piece of shit who left them. Right. And so they probably hate us too. Everybody was assuming that no, that the girls didn't want to hear from them, which was completely wrong. There's just like so much shame. Yeah. But it's just like, reach out guys. I'm still kind of, I mean, you can hear my voice. Like to me, it just felt like you're cowards. All of you are cowards. Like how do you not reach out to two little girls? You're their aunts and uncles. I mean, there was two aunts and two uncles that just didn't reach out for Mm -hmm. decades. Like what is wrong with you? Um, and they're just like, well, we didn't think you wanted to hear from us. And that's fair, but just I'm experiencing waves of rage mm-hmm. at these people that I'm have to be patient and forgiving with because yeah. they also lost, their, just lost, they lost their brother. Yeah. And then now they're meeting their, their nieces for the first time really in, in two decades. Yeah. And I'm just a dude on the wall. And so I'm, a, I'm experiencing such pain for Danielle and her sister mourning. I'm angry at this entire side of the family. And people kind of care that I'm there. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like yeah. the fiance. It's, it's sort of like, thanks for being here. Yeah. It's also like, oh, and what is your name and what do you do? And then just waiting what to get do back. What do you do? Yeah. <laughs> I'm in between jobs right now, as yeah, a matter of fact. Yeah, exactly. It's weird. I don't know how to describe it. I work in marketing. And I'm on my, this is, I'm on vacation. Yeah, th- seriously. Uh, and so I'm just like, I'm just there to support. Yeah. Which is, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good at listening and, and hanging around in the, in the back of the room. Like I did that for so much of my youth cause I was shy or whatever. Uh, but it's, it was, t- it was just taxing and draining and it's it created ripple effects in me that I'm still dealing with because I had never felt death on such a visceral level. Mm-hmm. Um, and the finality of it just was traumatic. Let's, let's talk a little bit about, obviously, an event like this and that experience of sitting in the room with the body. I mean, this is, this is a nuclear bomb, right? Yeah. Like that, and that's the moment of, you know, city destruction, where it's yeah. just like, but then you have, like you said, the waves and waves that just go out from that. And you like are dealing, so like, what is it like Let's talk a little bit about, obviously, there's that nuclear bomb moment. I feel like that whole week you're there yeah. is just like, oh, my God, we've all just been blown up. Right. And that's the, that's, I would imagine that's so much of what you're feeling, rage and the mourning with, with Danielle and Olivia. It sounds like shock. Like, you're just in sort of like a state of shock and whatever emotion is going to help you get through it yeah. is like coming to the surface. Cause it's like, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And yeah. so what I, I'm interested in, like, as time passes, we get like a month out and two months out. Cause obviously then, you know, you come back to LA yeah, and you continue wedding planning yeah. and working and moving in together. And I remember you and I got together, like as soon as you got back, I, I feel like we got together the day after you flew back or like, <laughs> we might have, yeah. yeah, you, you flew back and we went and we got lunch and we talked about this a little bit. And I feel like we've not talked about this in, in any sort of depth since then. Yeah. I think a part of me just is always happy to shelve it. Cause it was so visceral for so many months. Yeah. I mean, even before her dad, committed suicide her brother-in-law was dealing with a lot of mental health issues and, ch- and had to check himself into like an intensive uh mental health care facility that's right yeah for like a month and so we spent every weekend driving up to malibu to go to this like private uh mental health retreat facility we did like group therapy together um 
So it's like, I've just gone for like six months at this point where someone else is always having the major issue, Mm -hmm. the major mental health problem. And by proxy, I feel like, you know, come 2019, six, seven months after that, I'm having mental health issues. Like Mm -hmm. I'm slipping into panic attacks that I can't explain why they're coming in or or how to deal with them. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and that's kind of like where I've been since is, cause I don't know if when you have like a, your first panic attack, it like, it opens the door to you having more. Cause then you're panicked about having panic attacks. Yeah. Because then now you know what they feel like Yeah, and you can almost think yourself into a panic attack as opposed to something happening to you and then catalyzing it. Yeah. It's like before the first one, you could never think yourself into a panic attack. Yeah. But then if you have one, you can just psych yourself out. It's sort of like sense memory. Yeah. yeah. It's like when you know what that feels like, you can get there. Yeah. Um, Which sucked for me because I liked taking like an edible every once in a while to go to sleep. Yeah. And I fucking, the first time I took one of those, same dose, tiny little five milligram for sleep. Freaked me out, man. Yeah. I started having a panic attack and I was like, well, now this is ruined. Yeah. Like, you know. Yeah. yeah that feeling. I've, I definitely know that feeling yeah. of like, I'm slipping. Like yeah. I'm slipping. Here and goes. I, I can't. I don't know how <laughs> yeah. to catch myself. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, if you're, if you're okay talking about it, cause you said like that first panic attack is like six months, like post event. Yeah. Um, do you remember, I mean, whether you, I don't know how specific you might want to be about it, but do you remember what kind of set that off or what, yeah, what, very like, much what so. triggered that and what that was like having Ugh. never had a panic attack before? Yeah. Cause some people, they call 911, like they think they're having a heart attack or, oh yeah. 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 It was, um, so my wife does poetry, uh, spoken word. And so I think, I think it might've been pre-wedding or just post when we got married in April. I can't remember. It's early 2019. Um, and she had written her first poem about her dad mm-hmm. and that experience of, you know, seeing him in the casket and that whole Florida thing and memories tied to it. And, <laughs> I already struggle to listen to her poems one-on-one sometimes if I'm just in the middle of the day because they're really (laughs) emotional. They're just really powerful. She's good. So like it evokes, if she's writing a poem about sadness, like, or, or some horrible event, you're like, I'm going to feel this pretty viscerally. Yeah. She is, she is very good. Yeah. You know, if you're just trying to have a sandwich. (laughs) Yeah. uh, (laughs) And I'm like, I'm just trying to watch the game and have a sandwich. I don't really go down this road. And then it turns into like a fight of like, you never want to hear my poems or whatever, which is like a thing we've had to work through. And I'm like, I will 100% go to every show you have, but like time and place, Mm. time and place Mm -hmm. is a huge thing for me. And let me set, just set and setting. set and setting. Yeah. It's just like taking psychedelics. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Her poems are that, that good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so she wanted me to hear this poem and I basically said no the first time and it turned into the fight of like, you never want to hear them. And then I was like, fine, let's do this. Mm-hmm. Not knowing what I was walking myself into. And she was just describing it. And I had, re- I had just repressed the memory. I was just mm. like, I kept myself busy or entertained and we were also getting married and moving in together. There was a lot, a lot of lo- a lot of logistics and I was getting a new job. So I just I had a ton of other distractions to fill my time. And it was almost like I hadn't relived what it was like. I can still see this more I can see that whole day perfectly. I can see the weather, I can see the rental car we had. I know where I was sitting yeah. at every point of the day. I remember where I texted you, when I texted you, the paintings on the wall, the cheesy Christian art. Like it's all vivid. It's all right there. I mean, I have no doubt that if you like, if you caught a whiff of a smell yeah. that reminded, like it would immediately, oh, yeah. like it might, yeah, just like take you right back. Oh yeah, absolutely. And so when she, 
started doing her poem. It was really power, powerful. And I just remember sitting there having a bunch of racing thoughts. And for me, what really pours gasoline on an anxiety attack is, is being quiet. Mm. If I don't start voicing it, it gets worse. Mm-hmm. And so sitting there and it's basically the second or third line, it starts to trigger. My hands start sweating, mm. my, my shortness of breath. And then I'm like, you got to write out this poem because she thinks you don't want to hear him. Mm-hmm. And so shut this down, shut the, and then the more you like push it, it's like quicksand. Yeah. And so by the time she finishes, like I'm like hyperventilating and I'm like, I didn't want to fucking hear this. And so I just, I'm like freaking out. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was pretty rough, man. Um, shit kind of describing them sometimes like triggers it a little bit. Like I yeah. can feel my hands get sweaty, just like remembering it. Yeah. So it's tough. So that's, that was the first time it, it triggered it. Okay. So. Well, you are, you're, you're safe. You talk out whatever yeah. you need to. And <laughs> if we need to trim it, we'll trim it. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, fortunately you're on a podcast so you can just keep talking. Yeah. <laughs> um, it does help. Yeah. No, I, I, I can, I can relate to that. Sometimes, sometimes like my, um, that's how my feelings will feel as well. It's like, I just sort of need to get them out Yeah. because if, if I keep them inside, they, it's like, um, somebody else said this, but feelings just need to be felt. And if you like force the feelings down, they just go into the basement, lift weights. That's, and that's like, <laughs> yeah. that's not my line. That's someone else's line. But I'm like, that's how mine feel. God, if I just, great analogy. if I just shove them down, they're just like, you asked for it, well, motherfucker. Yeah. Like, yeah, well, you're, you're, doing bench you're actually presses. just giving it energy. Yeah. You're giving it more of an energy as opposed to like, you know, um, to, to, just to give you a, a breather from having to describe all this yeah. really difficult stuff. But I've watched this on the other side as a, some, as someone with diagnosed depression and I've like learned like, okay, I'll be managing this. Mm-hmm. I'm going to, I'm going to learn to manage this for, you know, probably the rest of my life. And I hope that managing it becomes easier. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it has, but I've really watched this in my relationship with Helen and her having to like how difficult it is to be a partner to somebody that's with that, that's like struggling with that because the way it feels for her at times is she's having to fight me for me. Mm. She's having to like, she's having to like interrupt. There's almost like two characters in my head and she's got to get in between them somehow. So I think that it's incredibly, it's incredibly difficult to be that support person for somebody that's really in the in the throes of, of something really difficult like that. Yeah. And we don't, yeah, I think you're, you, you really hit on something in that we don't have a lot of support structure for like, Hey man, your, uh, your fiance's father just died. How you doing? Yeah. We don't, we don't have a lot of apparatus for that. The assumption is kind of just like, all right, well, you're, you're probably okay. You're good. You're maintaining. It's like you're, you're inconvenienced, but you weren't immediately yeah. affected, even right. though that's not true. That's right. just like not true. Yeah. Um, can we talk about like what relationships were like with friends after this? I mean, when you yeah. go through something that all of a sudden you feel like nobody knows what this is like. It was tough because a lot of people don't know how to deal with it. I wouldn't know how to deal with it. I mm-hmm. wouldn't know what to text, to not text. You don't want to trigger someone by saying, just thinking about you, like maybe they're having a good day and then your text it's, makes it's, them go, well, hundred percent. Thanks man. I was having a great day. Now I'm thinking about my dad dying, you know? Yeah. So our friends were pretty much a mixed bag of like, cr- some people really surprised us, um, with like just remembering things and sending flowers to the house randomly. Um, and then, but the majority people just kind of kept their distance about it, which is hard because mm-hmm. you kind of want your friends to be, I think it's always better to be a little bit more present and fuck up than be silent. 
Mm-hmm. It's I just would that would be my only piece of advice. Maybe it's that's just like really that's really good yeah, advice. Just be present and fuck it up, but don't be absent. Mm-hmm. Don't don't. It's 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 so much easier for you to be to make up that excuse. It's what her family did for decades. Yeah. Well, you might be mad at me, so I won't do anything. Well, guess what? That was the worst thing you could have done. Yeah. That was the worst thing. It's way better for you to text and them just ignore you. Oh well, maybe you were now you feel bad, but it's not about you, man. Like mm-hmm. at least when 20 years go by, you can say like, I was always trying to reach out for you. I'm so happy to see you now. Yeah. That would have been a, a way better connecting point. But with my friends, I felt like you guys were all pretty good. I have a pretty small circle. So we're, we talk deep shit all the time. I didn't, I probably didn't put on a front like I needed much. I probably just kept going like, Oh, I'm just here supporting Danielle here supporting Danielle. Mm-hmm. I was more angry in the moment, in the moment. And when I think when you look, when you're expressing anger, people don't think you really need support. Yeah. Because you're like fiery. It feels like a control position. Like, yeah, you're uh, hot. Yeah, he's hot. He's, he's fine. He's healthy. He's not like strung out. He's just pissed off, you yeah. know? But anger is the same. Th- I mean, depression is just anger faced inward. You well, know and I mean? it's never, it's never like, I don't think anybody ever got the impression that like, man, Colton's really like crawling into a bottle over this. It's not like yeah. that kind of behavior where it's like. That's not my coping style. Yeah. For sure. My yeah. coping style is just isolation and busyness, you know? Yeah. And I think it's, it's important for friends to recognize friends coping styles yeah i think it's important to to learn like what are those warning signs because they might not be as obvious as like you know shooting up black tar in an alley like that's <laughs> yeah. super diff- that's super obvious and yeah most of us are far more subtle and that's that's like what my mental health journey has exposed exposed is i and my greatest fear is a lack of control mm-hmm and so when trauma hits, I ramp up feeling in control mm-hmm. with competency. Mm-hmm. I'm handling this. We're doing this. We're, we're doing everything right. So no need to worry. And that's been my whole like brand my, in my entire life is mm-hmm. Colton's got it under control. No one thinks he needs anything. Yeah. It's a long hashtag, but uh, <laughs> it, uh, yeah. yeah, it's not the catchiest of, of, it is a strong brand. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so it's tough. I mean, I've, I've had multiple experiences throughout my life where people will be like, I'm just surprised you needed anything like happy to help, man. I'm not really like quick to ask for help. Yeah. Cause I'm like, as a grown up, I should be able to figure this out. You know, that's kind of what I'm telling myself. So panic attacks, a lot of times stem from, the realization of how out of control I am, yeah. you know? And then you tack COVID on the end of, you know, kind of trying to come out of that hard year of 2019. Yeah. And then you're like more lack of control, more random death, mm-hmm. you know, that just in, like interrupts your whole life mm-hmm. uh, on a massive scale this time. Yeah. And not everybody's, most people are not handling this well. Right. And so I'm, I'm not only out of control because there's a disease, I'm out of control because of these people. Mm-hmm. Um, which is probably like my greatest source of anger is when a, a person is out of control is fucking my life up Yeah, because that's what childhood felt like. That's like when you live with an alcoholic, you're like, there's just this person I cannot control that just, just at any day they want can walk in and ruin things for me. There, there is probably a lot of, uh, there's probably a strong feeling of like, if everybody could just get their shit together, <laughs> yes. if, if everybody could just like, if we could all just get on the same page, we'd get through this a lot easier. Yeah. Um, and we live in a world where that tends to not happen. And oh, that's, well, and that's what happened with, you know, my family too, was after, you know, uh, Danielle's dad died, like her sister and that side of the family, they just made a thousand horrible decisions that made yeah. life even harder. Yeah. I mean, I won't go into it cause it's like their personal business, but it, yeah. it was just like, can someone just please make a mature decision 
mm-hmm. you know, about their relationships or their finances or their health. Mm-hmm. Like, I, it, may, it just makes me want to like cut and run quite honestly. I was just like, yeah. I just want to be done with all of you. Like, yeah. this is, this is so too much. Well, all of the, like, I mean, the, the, the reactions that you're describing to the emotional onslaught that you're experiencing, it's, you know, fight and flight. And yeah. I know that there's freeze in there, but you might not be as predisposed to freezing. Um, yeah. I tend to like freezing's a big one for me. <laughs> I'm flight and freeze. I don't have as strong of a fight response every once in a while it'll come up and it always surprises me. I'm like, Oh, who's this <laughs> Whoa, guy? Oh yeah. Ah, he's wild. That's like, we broke Dan. He's getting <laughs> <laughs> But like, yeah, I think that people tend that, you know, everybody has those coping mechanisms that are kind of like formed in childhood. Yeah. Fight, flight, freeze. And that's, I get it. I mean, yeah. that, that sense of like right away you had that instinct of like rage. I want to fight like, fuck these people. Like these people who like hurt these people I loved. Yeah. And then when everybody's just like, you know what? I'm just going to keep burning my house to the ground. You're like, well, I, I can't be around that. Yeah. Like I, yeah. I don't want to stand in this house with you. And I, I looking back on it, I wish I would have gotten in therapy as fast as Danielle did. Mm. Cause Danielle's the best thing she did was she got right in therapy. She asked around, she found a great person that people had experienced a lot of healing with mm-hmm. and started doing some really intense like EMDR therapy mm-hmm. and is still doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like, basically we moved far away from my mentor. Mm-hmm. And so in LA, that's like 12 miles or <laughs> yeah. far away, whatever. For any- so I lost touch with like, for anybody listening, if you're not familiar with EMDR therapy, um, you can Google it where I, I don't know how to go into it super in depth, but it has to do with, um, alternating movements and rapid eye movement. And it's a form of therapy that's been really, really proven to be very effective at treating trauma. So if you're in a place where you're really struggling with trauma, current or post-trauma, EMDR would probably be a great thing to look up. Yeah. I, I didn't know much about it at all until Danielle started doing it. And it's crazy how much it's helped. I mean, uh, I'm sure she's comfortable with me sharing all this stuff. Uh, but I mean like suicidal ideation is like a big thing that a lot of people who are depressed experience. And Dan, you've talked about that. Uh, yeah. Can we, can we, can, uh, are you okay talking about that for a second? Cause yeah, I feel like yeah. that's actually, that's actually very widespread. And I feel like I just learned about it last year and I feel yeah. like I've been pretty, I mean, like I think of myself as being pretty alert and tuned into this kind of stuff, but I, I did not know that that was its own specific subset mm-hmm. of, uh, you know, of ideation. So right. my understanding of suicidal ideation, um, is just sort of the compulsive thinking of like, anytime any little thing sort of comes up, there's this feeling of like, Ugh, I could, I could just kill myself. Yeah. And it can be triggered by like almost nothing. I mean, daily inconveniences, I will sometimes catch myself just like, oh, I just wish I could just kill myself. Yeah. And it's a, it's a complete like escape fantasy. Yeah. Um, and that, I think that is different from being in the state of mind where you're like, I'm going to do this. Yeah. I'm, I'm making plans. I've, I'm gathering whatever I need to gather. Yeah. I've never really, cause my anxiety is tied to dying. Mm-hmm. So I don't fantasize about it like in that same way as an escape. My, mm-hmm. my anxiety comes from like a shift in my religious beliefs about the afterlife and maybe heaven not being there. And is it just nothing? All that stuff is what causes panic for me. Mm-hmm. 
because um, there's nothing more uncontrollable than what happens when you die. Yeah. <laughs> but suicidal ideation is very similar for Danielle in the way she's described it. It's just like, if things get hard, you could just tap out. Yeah. Um, yeah. To and me, it, it just feels like I just want to turn the lights off. Yeah. And it's a, it's such a casual, it becomes a casual thought. Absolutely. It's just like as, as far as someone being like, oh, I'm sleepy, I could take a nap. It's that easy. Yeah. Um, that's kind of the scary thing about it. And that's actually, it, it helped me in learning about that, that like, Oh, okay. Suicidal ideation is a, is a whole nother thing. And a lot of people have this sort of just like, it's not like every single day I'm like, I want to die. I want to die. I want to die. It's just like inconveniences would be like, well, it'd sure be easy if I was just not here. Yeah. And I think that's what I realized. I'm like, oh, I just want to like not be here. Right. I just want to not be in this moment <laughs> yeah. experiencing this discomfort. Right. Having to fill out the, this paperwork <laughs> or dealing with these finances or looking for a job. I just want to not be feeling so human and mm-hmm. vulnerable. This is this feeling just is like, uh, I wish I could just turn it off. Yeah. That's different from like everything's done and I'm 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 doing it. I think that yeah. I think yeah. that like you you kind of have to be careful between those two lines. Sometimes it feels to me like I wish as somebody who struggles with depression and suicidal ideation, I wish I could just kind of more casually talk about it. Yeah. So that it wasn't like hey, look, I'm not like this is not a huge like I'm not it's not a I'm not pleading for help. I don't need you to right. save me. I don't need you to step in and like okay, well like let me run down the list of every reason you have to live. Like yeah. I'm not asking you to do that. That almost escalates it to a place yeah, that doesn't it's like, need to be. Yeah. It's like I kind of just need to be like, yeah, sometimes I just wish I could flip that switch, mm-hmm. but it's utter escapism for me. Yeah. I, I'll only speak for myself, but Well, it's tough. Again, I'll I'll speak for more of the, like the person supporting that because that's my most like my main experiences and it's just tough when you're when you really love someone you're just rooting for them constantly yeah and so it's tough it sucks when someone comes to you and is like i would end all of this i'm yeah. thinking about ending all of this in a, in a light way or or i don't yeah. even i don't want to i don't know i don't know how to like grade it but it is it's not the same as like yesterday i almost slipped my wrist in the bathtub right. that's not what it is it's right. just like it's just the thought pattern. Um, and I have thought patterns around controlling and fixing people all the time. So that's, that's what I slip into and I have to pull out of it. And if, it has to be talked about on that level so that it can go away because I don't know, we do these calendars where we just like write daily, like what was the energy level? What was good that happened? What was bad that happened? Anything notable that way we can kind of track our, you know, emotional and spiritual ups and downs. And when you talk about it, you can also celebrate it when it doesn't happen. Yeah. And I remember at the start of the year, I mean, we were looking through our calendars and Daniel was like, man, I had like the whole couple months here where it just, I didn't have it. Mm -hmm. And it was looking back on other calendar dates or finally having a bad day and and journaling about it. We were like, hey, actually doesn't happen for a while this last quarter. And so that's kind of my bright side way of looking at it is if you talk about it, then you can track it and then you can celebrate it when it doesn't happen. Yeah. I think, I mean, this is probably not an exact comparison, but I think it's something like when you're in a relationship with somebody and the, they're just sort of like, if every day they're like, Oh, like I feel so fat. I'm so (laughs) fat. Uh, and even, and at first you're like, no, you're not. You look yeah. great. Like yeah. you're sexy. I love you. You got an yeah. awesome body. Like you're doing all that stuff. And then after like, you know, a few weeks and they're just like, oh, I feel so fat. I'm so fat. It's <laughs> yeah, like, well, like, then you're going to need to do something yeah. about it. <laughs> and I yeah. think that's what it is. Like you can't just endlessly be like, oh, I just wish I could like turn the lights out. Cause yeah. then it's like, well, 
tough right because i'm here yeah and like you can't do that to me frankly and i'm i please stop bringing it up i mean that's it's always tough to find those boundaries with things like that because yeah. like you want it to be conversational but you don't want to be an enabler yeah and that's so, a great point to me you have to have some healthy judgments. And mm -hmm. I know I, I tend to lean on too, having too many judgments, but there's a middle ground, I think, where I can look at Danielle or someone like you that's doing things and be like, okay, you're having suicidal ideation. Are you in therapy? Mm -hmm. Do you work out? And do you eat well? Mm -hmm. If you're not doing any of those things, I have a hard time having the empathy to be like, okay, you can have a rough season where you don't work out. You have a pint of ice cream and you crush a six pack. But if that's prolonged, yeah. I'm like, I don't want to talk about the suicidal ideation without the habits yep. surrounding it as well. And Danielle always has just had the good habits. She's worked out. She eats well. She started therapy. So when her suicidal ideation pops up, you're like, okay, this is just part of her journey. Yeah. And you can, for me, it helps deescalate my emotion that I have behind it because I can say, you know, this this is part of the journey rather than like she's doing nothing right. and she's causing this pain herself. Right. Because I'll, I'll go there in my mind with people. I'll get real judgmental just because I don't want to endure empathizing with their pain. Mm -hmm. Because it, like, like you said at the top of the episode, it taxes me because I feel so connected to people yeah. that I love. And I have a small circle for that reason. Right. Um, so you're like, I don't want to just drain my empathy on you if you're not trying a little bit mm -hmm. to subvert it. If you're trying and it crops up, that's life, man. Yeah. That's, we all got that. Yeah. If you're, I mean, I've been on both sides of this equation where I'm like, <laughs> where I have healthy habits and where I'm just pounding ice cream and beer. So <laughs> like I've, I've been on both sides of it and it, there's always this moment of like, oh man, when I like meditate and journal and exercise and eat a little cleaner and get to bed on time and you know, I take care of myself, I feel better. Oh, that sucks. There's like this <laughs> realization of like, oh man, I guess I do. That I does. Hate. It helps. Yeah. It's hard work. I mean, like the discipline, it doesn't come naturally for me. And I think that's the thing is like so often it's getting easier with time because I've like learned to enjoy the, the discipline a bit, right. but certainly starting out, it was just like, man, this sucks because everything I want to do makes me feel worse. Oh yeah. Like everything that would feel nice in the moment just makes me feel bad the next day or, you know, so it's like this perpet, there was a lot of 2020 was like that for me. I mean, just with the, with the amount that I was drinking. Mm. I mean, I, I did a lot of drinking in 2020 just cause like, well, I've lost my job and I lost everything and whatever. I don't, I don't know, whatever, who, who cares? Nothing matters. Yeah. Just slipping into this nothing matters place. When you were stuck, you're just like stuck in yeah, LA, just like in an apartment in, a, in yeah. LA. And I, I, I mean, I had to get to the point and you know, I'm fortunate to have a really good partner who was like, yeah, please please tighten this up a little bit. Mm -hmm. Cause that, yeah, that uh, she was like, are you, she did exactly what you're describing. Are you meditating? Are you journaling? Are you doing any of the stuff? And I had to be like, no, yeah. I don't want to. And she's like, well, that's, that's the stuff. Yeah. You never want to until you actually do it. Yeah. I think it always goes back to set setting even for me with working through anxiety so much of it i mean we, we spent a lot of time up in northern california during 2020 to kind of escape la because la was just like the epicenter of it and my parents live in a, a way more rural area of mm -hmm. northern california um and we were up there for like four or five months out of the year yeah. i mean and it is where I work through my anxiety. Again, I change things like caffeine intake, mm. not doing pre-workout because caffeine and all that stuff spikes yeah. your anxiety. 
Um, Pre-workout's so, a hell of a drug, oh, though. No, it's the worst. Uh, that, and then you run in elevation, and you're like, I can't breathe. My heart's racing. And yeah, you're like, yeah. that's a panic attack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Great. Yeah. I just, like, induced it. I um, think panic attack is the name of a pre-workout. Yeah, probably. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a lightning bolt on it. Uh, take two scoops. Uh, which is insane. Whenever I see those, where it's like, start out with one scoop, and then work your way up to two. And I'm like, I'm taking half a scoop. I took Who th- is taking two? I took three one time, and I could barely get to the gym. Like, I was Your like... skin uh, crawling? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, it was bad. Yeah. But so, I mean, it's tough, because it's all those biological things tied into just a hard situation. Mm-hmm. And you can... You got to tackle both. I mean, you have to tackle the biological stuff that's going to sink you. Mm-hmm. And then you have to tackle your environment, which is like what you surround yourself, who you surround yourself with and what you look at every day. And I think it's fair to say like medication is a great way to work up the energy to do the disciplines. Yeah. And I'll say, I'll be upfront. I, so I started taking medication in November of 2019 and I had this, I started taking a, a version of Zoloft, um, for my depression. Um, and I, I took the smallest amount for almost an entire year. And for, for like a whole year, I was like, well, this is fine, but I don't really feel anything too crazy. And then in November of 2020, I just, I bumped it up with the, with the help of a, of a trained professional. I bumped it up just one more, one more pill. And I was like, after six weeks, it was pretty wild how like, I was like, oh, I, I think I feel normal. Mm-hmm. Like, I think I feel like a normal person when bad things happen. It's an inconvenience. Right. I feel like, well, this is a bummer as opposed to, I wish I could just disappear. Yeah. That's just a different <laughs> scale of like life feeling less heavy. Yeah. And I actually noticed like my experience with medication was I, uh, I had a brief interlude where like I ran out of my current bottle before my next bottle was mailed to me. So I had like three days where I didn't have my dose and I was like, okay, not the end of the world, but I did. I, as I like finished my bottle, I told Helen, I was like, Hey, just so you know, finished my bottle. I'm not sure when this is coming in the mail. I don't know when it's arriving. I'm going to get, I'm, I'm kind of on top of it. I'm going to be journaling about my feelings and stuff. If I get weird, just help me catch that. If I start getting weird, just let me know, like you're being a little weird. Fortunately, it didn't get, it didn't get like that. It never got scary and it never got weird, but I did notice that in those on like the third day, something on the third on day. the third day something came up and sure enough i just had this weird sneaky thought of like oh, this wouldn't happen if you were dead hmm. and i was like uh i haven't had my pills in three days like yeah i was still doing my my meditation i was still doing my journaling yeah still doing like we've been doing yoga together i i didn't change any of that right it was just that one thing and fortunately, I think because of all that other work, right. I was able to catch it. Yeah. Like I was able to just be like, oh, that's not normal. It's so biological. I yeah. mean, it's such a, an enormous part of it is just biological. And, and, I, I, and I think also just early childhood stuff. Well, yeah, well, yeah early, um, I'm sure that's a nature, measure. nature and nurture. Right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, I'm just speaking, I think I was saying that more for myself because I'm thinking about how panic attacks are what I've consumed or not consumed. Yeah. Cause yeah. I had one even on the flight to Jackson hole, um, 
we I had so much caffeine, like so much cold brew, mm-hmm. because it was like an earlier flight, and I was just right. trying to get up for it. But I hadn't eaten as much. And so I just, we were watching John Wick of all things. He's killing everybody, mowing people down. <laughs> yeah. And I just start thinking about death. Mm-hmm. And then the door starts to close to the plane. And I'm like, what if we crashed? What if mm-hmm. we crashed? Because, you know, we're flying into snowy weather. Yeah. And it just, I, my heart was just racing from the caffeine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was like, I know what's happening right now. And I was, luckily, I, I have a great partner. And Daniel knows I'm struggling with this. And been, they happened so much in early 2020 um, that I've just felt prepared. We, we yep. knew how to handle this. You know, she yep. asked me questions. She changes the subject. She gets me talking about something I know a lot about, um, and fought through it. It's, it still took like 20 minutes to get through it, which feels like forever when you're having a panic attack, mm-hmm. but it goes back to like, I should have known better. Like I should have, I yeah. could have helped this situation by not having a leader. Another, of yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Before I go into a small space, yeah. like an airplane and it's just like, okay, all right, noted. Like, let's not catastrophize this and say like, well, now I'm back to having them. And now I just got to like figure out how to heal it all over again. It's like, no, you know, yeah. you know what this is, you know? And that for me, I think that helps a lot with any mental disorder when you can at least tell yourself, here's why this is happening. Cause yeah. the confusion and the darkness is what makes it worse. I think in a lot of ways, it w- I watched a documentary on what causes panic attacks. It's on Netflix. I think it's called the brain explained. Mm-hmm. And it's just talking about like, well, yeah, your amygdala is doing this. Your prefrontal cortex is doing that. When this gets overwhelmed, it, this causes these thoughts. And it's like, I remember watching that right as I was kind of in the middle of getting through it. I was like, oh, mm-hmm. I just could feel myself de-escalate yeah. how concerned I was about it. Because I was like, these are the chemicals talking to each other. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. So when it happens, I can at least tell myself like, yeah, okay, now the amygdala is doing whatever. And yeah. So... I don't know. That's, I guess that's kind of like partially advice just or partially just anecdotal, it, you know, it's helpful to be able to say like, I'm not fucked up. I'm a human being. Yeah. And like some chemicals that always looks different for everybody, but like I'm yeah. a human being, but it's tough when you come out of a spiritual background, Yeah, everything 100%. is amplified versus like being more of a scientific, you know, biologically minded person who you're like, yeah, this is how bodies work. I mean, for me, whenever you encountered anything, like this, it was just like sinful, like cosmic energies. Everything is so amplified. Mm-hmm. Um, so I kind of I want to I want to land this plane safely. Uh, <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> um, I think what I'm interested in from you is what's so tricky about when you start having really severe suicidal thoughts is it's really easy to believe the lie that like for me the lie always sounds like everybody will get over this. Like it'll make a few people, it'll hurt a few people briefly, but everybody's lives will keep moving on. So what I, I think what I'm interested in is you were so deeply affected by somebody taking their life and you had zero relationship with that person. You just had relationship with the people they had relationship with. So it's a reminder of like the butterfly effect of a person's life. Oh yeah. Um, so I guess I'm, I'm curious from your point of view as somebody who has like stood in the fire with somebody else going through this, losing a loved one. If somebody's out there wrestling with that thought of like my life, I don't matter, you know, (sighs) man, because the fact that you didn't know him, obviously we're like, yeah, sure. Like my mom would be sad. My dad would be sad. My, this person, my, my partner. Yeah. But like beyond that, like who cares? Yeah. I, I think it's a, 
I think everybody's probably more connected than they realize to people in their lives. Even if you've been isolated for a long season, because, you know, Mark was, Mark was Danielle's dad's name. Mark, uh, pretty isolated guy. I mean, living in a motel, I mean, it was funny. Even the motel owner came to his, uh, funeral thing ceremony. I don't even know what to call it. Or like get together while we were in Florida. Um, and the motel owner was touched by him. Wow. Like he had unique stories because he would call the motel owner professor for whatever reason because the motel <laughs> owner had a lot of, he had like retired. He was like a like a biological engineer, chemical engineer or something like that. Really smart guy, but he had just retired, sold everything and bought a motel just because he wanted to do it. And he lived in the motel with his wife, just kind of an eclectic guy, yeah. you know? Um, Daytona so he, Beach, man. Daytona <laughs> fucking beach. Um, and so he would talk to Mark and Mark was just, I don't know. Daniel has that same charisma that her dad has. You know, I think it's where she mm-hmm. got it from. Um, ah, fuck, it make me emotional. Um, he just... It's all right, man. It's, um, I just think it's natural to, to, to like, if we were products, we would always value our product less than other people around us would. Mm-hmm. I think that's pretty normal unless you have like really healthy self-esteem, which we're all moving towards <laughs> mm-hmm. hopefully. Um, and so it's funny when you have such a low esteem for yourself, how distorted your view is of what you bring to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and this guy, you know, runs a motel, probably sees a lot of transient folk. And Mark was a, a transient guy himself, but it's just, he brought a lot to his interactions with people just by coming up with a funny name to call somebody that made, made them feel seen a little bit or made them feel like, I like it when I see Mark, you know, yeah. of all the, all the people that kind of pass through here, it's kind of fun when I see that guy, we have good conversations and he was, I mean, that guy was pretty broken up, you know, when we had our little get together thing or our wake or whatever you call it, like he was there and that he, I mean, that story and the interactions that he had was enough to move him to tears for a guy who's pretty, pretty gristled guy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I don't know. I think that's all I would say is you probably bring more than you realize even in your darkest days. Um, and it could be people at a grocery store that see you. It could be a mechanic. You just don't know the light you bring in the small moments. So if you just show up a little bit more, you'll be surprised at how much more you receive, how much more love and appreciation you'd get. Cause all Mark needed to do was really just show up mm-hmm. for her, for Danielle and her sister. And I think it would have fixed a lot of things. So I think it would have fixed a lot of his perceptions about the worth he had and the value he brought to people. Yeah. So, man, I think that's, I think that's so true. I think that if I had like any parting thoughts for, for anybody, it's that the worst thing about depression is that it has this way of, it has this way of forcing you into 
your own self-imposed isolation. And the fact that like Mark felt like he didn't have the right to reach out to his kids, he, yeah. which is, it's a lie. Like it's just not true. And I'm sure Danielle and Olivia would have loved to have heard from him. And sure, it might have been, it might have been a little awkward. There might have been some friction. Like it yeah. might have taken a few meals, a few get-togethers, a few like it might have taken some work. But like it, it, it wasn't a lost cause. But it's so easy when you get into that when you get into that hole to just feel like, well, I'm here and there's no way out. Yeah, and. <laughs> It's, it's just not true. Yeah. Um, I really appreciate you being so honest about it, man. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for, <laughs> I was trying to hold that back. No, that's, I think it's, I think it's really, I mean, I'm sorry for, uh, for how painful it is for you and I'm sorry for everything that you went through, but I think it's really important for people to hear how it affected you. I think it's important for people to see how these decisions impact people that they, they don't even think about. They might yeah. not even know about. Yeah. That's important. Yeah. Yeah. So I appreciate it, man. Thank yeah, you. Man. Guys, uh, if you if you tuned in and you listened to this one, thank you so much. Thanks yeah. for being here with us. And I hope it was helpful. <laughs> whether we know you directly or not, just know that uh we love you. We support you. If you are struggling with this stuff, just don't struggle with it alone. Mm-hmm. Professional help can be absolutely life changing. Great friends can be life changing. And, um, you know, there's hope. There's hope that tomorrow can be a little bit better than today. Yeah. And if you don't know who to ask first, just DM us at the back pew uh, on Instagram. And we'll give you all the resources and direction we possibly know about. Yeah. We'll go ahead and we'll throw um, we'll throw down a couple of links when we post this episode. Yeah. We'll, we'll throw some stuff in the, in the episode notes. So For sure. We love you guys. Love y'all. Thanks for listening. Thanks, bro.